welcome to Nichelle Newsletter. I am your host, Nichelle Stevens. Happy New Year! And I'm saying it like that because, yeah, it doesn't feel super happy. It's becoming um, very much a January of death. Um, so, I guess happy to still be alive to thrive, to survive uh, 2021. Um, Okay, so I got two wonderful books as uh, Christmas presents. They're both cookbooks. Um, But Black Food by Brian Tarrant is like an encyclopedia, an anthology, an essay collection, a cookbook, a black culinary history, uh, and it makes a great coffee table book. It's beautiful. Um, I'm going to put a link to this in the podcast so you can see it. Um, If you haven't, if you still owe people gifts or you owe a gift to yourself, you should get this book. Anyway, I'm going to be... um, uh, talking a little bit about this book in this podcast and probably future podcasts because it's so much um but first I want to mention something that that was actually um made me laugh made me chuckle I was at work over the weekend on Sunday and it was probably around brunch time lunch time was sometime between 12 and three o'clock and I got a text from my friend um, that included a picture of a drink and the text said Paloma Coma and it was one of the funniest things um, I kind of want to be in a Paloma Coma Paloma's one of my favorite drinks like I used to you know before I swore off vodka I used to drink Greyhounds great food and vodka but the Paloma is so good. It's a grapefruit, it's a lime, and tequila. It's 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 a very uh, it's a wonderfully chill drink. So I don't know who's doing dry January, but if you're not doing dry January, dry January, ah. Have a Paloma, because grapefruits are in season. I saw some very beautiful um, grapefruits at the at the grocery store. I didn't buy any. I bought lemons instead because I'm going to try to drink lemon, ginger, honey, um, like, daily. <laughs> so that's what I did. That was what I spent my citrus money on, lemons instead of grapefruit. Um, okay. So I'm going to read a short excerpt from the book Black Food by Brian Terry. And this little clip comes from Therese Nelson, who I actually met through Nicole Taylor. Ah, gosh, I don't know how long ago. It's got to be at least 10, 11 years ago I met Therese. It could be longer than that. But she actually started... Um, a Facebook page on Black culinary history. It was like like a uh, 
community of people who write about food and uh, people who work in kitchens and she she is like she's been doing she's not new to this she's true to this so anyway I'm gonna read something that I did not know 50 years ago food media was not the juggernaut industry it is today people mostly cooked at home and when they did dine out the chef was not certainly the hero of the of the experience until 1977 a professional cook no matter where in the hierarchy of the professional kitchen they stood was classified by the u.s government as a domestic worker okay i'm gonna stop this right now just to think about this 1977 that means what 40 44 years ago or 45 years ago I mean, it's only changed since 1977. So, no wonder so many people did not want to go into the culinary fields because it was considered to be beneath them. If you got an education, why would you want to go cook? Because you'd be classified as a domestic worker. And, And it's interesting how in the last 45 years it's become this lofty profession if you're a chef if you're a celebrity chef if you have like five shows on fox i'm talking about you gordon ramsay and you have all these cookbooks and you have a restaurant in vegas because obviously if you're a celebrity chef you also have to have a restaurant in vegas no matter where your, your flagship restaurant is but that means it's new it means 45 years ago in our lifetime, knowing the demographics of the people who listen to this podcast, you're probably in your 40s or older, but we, we don't care about age here. We care about taste. Um, I just think that's amazing. And it, lo- it lets you know so far needs to go in culinary world. And also kind of explains why if you're not a celebrity chef, how little you get paid um, going to a culinary school like a CIA or another I mean, there's culinary schools all over the country and also all over the world after you go to a culinary school it doesn't mean you're gonna move right into a lofty position making even a decent amount of money you're probably gonna start off maybe working as a line cook Maybe you get to be a sous chef, or it depends. But your salary may be maybe as low as 27, 28, could be even lower depending on what part of the country. And um, does it get? It doesn't get higher immediately. I mean, sometimes because of you know market demand. And someone can um, get their salary raised significantly because they get poached from another restaurant, an owner of another restaurant or whatever. That is probably the fastest way <laughs> to make more money. And so you kind of understand why a lot of chefs go on these reality shows because they know they need to build a brand for themselves. 
whether it's a Top Chef or Hell's Kitchen or I don't know, there's so many of them. Chopped, I love Chopped. Chopped is so fun to me because to me, Chopped is, I don't know if they thought about it, but to me, Chopped is a great way to show you how to not waste your food because you're given this parameter of ingredients and you have to make something delicious of it out of it so chop to me is it gives you so many great ideas of how to not waste the food that's in your pantry in your fridge anyway i have moved off topic um but i think going back to to the beginning of Teresa's um, essay, it's like, oh no, but we need to move faster in pay equity and um, diversity and inclusion. Like, it doesn't need to move at a snail's pace. Um, so anyway, I'm gonna read an, something else from her essay because I think it's really cool. She's and I'm just going to read this. When I first came to food, I didn't see the correlation between my blackness and the professional food world. It's more, more accurate to say that the food world didn't see a correlation, and I didn't challenge the notion that there was a di- distinction to be made. I hadn't found the truth yet. In the early 2000s, there was an emerging food media landscape that didn't quite have room for expansive black stories. The lack of imagine left, imagination left a void, which signaled to me that black food ways weren't valuable. And in the absence of rep- representation, I felt unseen. So, and that's one reason why Therese does what she does, because she felt unseen. So she decided to make herself seen. And I think that's fantastic. Um, she does reference, and I have not gotten this book, um, or any books by Dr. Verda Mays, Smart, Grosvenor, I'm probably murdering her name, but, um, she's, she's, she wrote a book, Thursdays and Every Other Sunday, and then she also wrote, uh, or The Travel Notes of a Geechee Girl, and I've heard about these books, I don't have these books, and I think you actually may have to find them because I'm not sure if they're out of print, but um, if you're really into culinary history, you might want to know a little bit about her. But she wrote these books back in the 70s. So Verda May was kind of talking about black food ways way before um, the distinction of a professional cook becoming uh, move past being a domestic worker. She knew, she knew. And um, anyway, that's really interesting. Okay, so I'm gonna, another thing. Um, the first, I think it's kind of interesting that one of the first, I think it is actually the first recipe in this book is buttermilk biscuits. And they are, the recipe is from Erica Castle, who I've never met. I feel like I've been following her online for years. And the interesting thing is, I didn't know until maybe four or five years ago that she was actually related to uh, Mama Dip. Uh, Mama Dip is a 
as uh, she since passed away, but she had a um, cafe in uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and I went there with my family a long time ago. Um, not that long ago, since, since my sister's been um, living in Durham. But I didn't even have that connection that Erica was from the family, the Mama Dent family. And my dad actually, and it's interesting because he really looks up most recipes online, but um, he does have Mama Dent's cookbook and he, he has it accessible. He keeps it in the kitchen. He goes and looks... Um, up some things. I think he did that because I think he was making chicken and dumplings and he looked up I want to say that that was what it was. And he looked up the recipe. But he, he refers to that. Um, so I think it's I think it's fantastic. You really should get this book. And um, and the fact that the first recipe is buttermilk biscuits. I mean you can't go wrong. And and honestly, if you've been intimidated by making some like biscuits, this doesn't look intimidating. To me, a recipe with a lot of ingredients is intimidating. This has about eight ingredients. And the probably only thing you probably need to get that you don't have at home is shortening and buttermilk. But more than likely you have baking soda, baking powder, flour. And unsalted butter. I keep unsalted butter. I don't know about you, but I keep that. I keep some unsalted butter in my fridge. And the okay, the second recipe is another recipe for biscuits, but it's it's such a great um, compliment. It's vegan sweet potato coconut coconut biscuits. So if you want biscuits but you want vegan, um. And maybe something a little bit more healthier, because the sweet potato. What's healthier than a sweet potato? It's a recipe for sweet potato coconut biscuits, and they're made with um, coconut milk. Yeah, and still, not too many ingredients, not too intimidating, people. I think we could do this. And so, the, yes, those are the first two recipes. So, uh, if you see this book, you should get it. Um, it's so funny. I see so many people um, who are in this book. My, uh, Nicole Taylor, Therese Nelson, Adrian Miller, um, Jocelyn Delk Adams, Cheryl Day. I mean, I know some of these people. This is so cool. I'm very excited about this book. Kia Damon, uh, Mashama Bailey, you know, just, just just regular folks, just regular folks. I just think of how, how do you, how do you collect this? Like this is being Nina Compton. I don't know how long did it take. This is a labor of love. I, Tony Tipton Martin. I'm just saying it. Okay, I'm just saying that this, this is like pulling together. Ah, black food waves. I, it's not comprehensive because nothing can be comprehensive. But this is really good. And honestly, if you really wanted to know about black food waves, you get this book, 
you get um, High on the Hog by Jessica B. Harris. Um, I think also you get um, The Jemima Code by Tony Tipton Martin. And you get The Cooking Gene by um, Michael Twitty. I think those those four books are pretty much at least get you started. Now, I am not someone going back to school in college. I don't see it happening. But I want to know, and I don't even know if anyone, if you're listening, if you know about this. Otherwise, I'm gonna just. I would love to know if anyone's doing like a Black Foodways course, like a class. It would be great if it's online. I would definitely take it. Oh my gosh, because it's it's the great way to trace um, black history and history of the diaspora through food. Who's doing that course? I would take that course. I would take that course, honestly. That would be such a fun and interesting course to take. Um, okay. So I didn't think I was gonna talk that long and I'm talking longer than I should. And I actually have to go get dressed, to go see about a house. Anyway, have a delicious week.